Welcome to the Facing Off Podcast, presented by the Hockey Writers, a show dedicated to debating hockey's hottest topics. I'm your host, Larry Fisher, and this is episode 12 of the Facing Off Podcast. I'm joined by Andrew Forbes, who covers the Toronto Maple Leafs and is a senior columnist for THW. Andrew, it's good to have you back again. Uh, as I said last week with Felix, it's been too long. Yeah, it's been far too long. It's uh, it's good to be back with you, Larry, and uh, more than happy to talk some uh, some hockey here. So for those who missed it, we revived the Facing Off podcast in November with Felix Sicard joining me for our season debut. Uh, we made the rounds in the Western Conference, specifically touring the Pacific Division, but today we'll be focusing on Eastern Canada and the Eastern Conference in general, starting with the center of the hockey universe in Toronto. Uh, you follow the Maple Leafs as close as anybody, Andrew. Uh, so I just want to know, what do you make of this year's team? Do you like the the makeup on paper as it is today? And do you see the current roster of the Toronto Maple Leafs as a Stanley Cup contender? Uh, as you know, as as uh, on paper, they're they're a great uh, great team. Um, you know, you've got uh, obviously some incredible depth up front and that's obviously a key to any team that wants to wants to make a push for for the Stanley Cup but I think uh in terms of being a Stanley Cup contender I don't think they're quite there yet um you know I think they need a they need to shore up their defensive core and uh you know that, that's as simple as getting like a, a one one two or or you know just adding to that top four because right now I think their top four is easily you know a three four five six on any other team. Um, they've got the goaltending. Uh, Frederick Anderson's been uh, you know his November was un- incredible after a shaky uh, October and and some subpar numbers in October, but. I, I think in terms of the the four depth and, and you know you've still got a lot of young guys with uh, fantastic speed, but when it comes to playing in their their own end, they they're having a lot of trouble, which is what they struggled with a few years back too. Is is just getting the puck out, getting it up the ice, and and making that transition a lot easier. So if they can find somebody to kind of shore up that that spot, I think you know then then we're talking about a team that has the potential to contend. Um, you know for for a Stanley Cup and, and deep into the playoffs. From the from the outside looking in, uh, the Leafs do seem like a, a playoff lock already this season. You know, you go back to last year, they sort of, at Christmas it was iffy, but this year uh, you have to say, uh, in my opinion, they look like a playoff lock, and I'd say they're probably locked into second place in the Atlantic Division uh, at worst at this point. <clears throat> uh, as you mentioned, uh I think there's 30 other teams that are pretty envious of the forward depth of the Leafs. I think that's the the obvious strength there. And and you mentioned it too, the defense is, is probably the weakness or, or an area that's still a, a work in progress. Uh, if I had to rank Toronto's defense corps, uh, it, it would probably be average or slightly below average, probably in that 15 to 25 range when you're looking at the comparing them to the other 31 teams. Uh, like I said, goaltending has been mostly good, and, and Frederick Anderson was uh, one of the stars of the month, I believe, or stars of the weeks re- recently anyway. So, I mean, he's been, uh, as long as he can stay healthy, they're in good hands uh, between the pipes. 
Uh, and maybe Frederick Anderson's play has been masking some of those defensive issues uh, on certain nights anyway, where he's uh, stealing points or, or even wins for Toronto. And I, I always say when I get talking about the Leafs that the, the X factor for Toronto is, is the fact there's only one Mike Babcock in the league. And I do believe there is uh, some power in coaching and, and some uh, ability to coach to win games and make key decisions that can put the team uh, in a better spot, whether it's uh, preparation for games or in games. So I think the coaching staff is is a big factor there as well. But uh, that said, Andrew, could Toronto beat Tampa Bay in a seven-game series starting tomorrow? Or do you think that the second round is sort of uh, as far as the Leafs can go in this year's playoffs? Is, is there no beating the Lightning? Well, I think right now, I mean, the second round is a stepping stone for them. Um, you know, we saw we saw this team make the playoffs last year and uh, put up quite a fight against uh, you know Tampa Bay. And um, but again, you mentioned it. Frederick Anderson last year in the playoffs was you know at the top of his game. He was playing incredible hockey. It was one goal games the whole way through. Um, and the team wasn't having the same kind of defensive struggles that they're having this year. Um, this year, you know, Anderson has masked that. And I think, you know, he's he's faced 812 shots this year, which is by far the most. I think it's 70-plus 70, 70 shots more than the second second uh, highest, um, you know, shot rate against. So, you know, that just kind of shows the kind of pressure they're putting on their goaltender. And, you know, if you if you continue to do that, you're not going to make it very far. So I think I think the second round is... is Definitely, uh, you know, people people should believe in this team to make the second round. When it comes to getting past the Lightning, that's going to be a tough test. And it'll all come down to, you know, whether the Lightning are healthy and, and you know, are the Leafs healthy. And, you know, do you get uh, do you get a good series from guys like Bozak, Kadri, uh, you know, is JVR still in the picture? Um, those kind of things there are all, are all going to play a role in, in whether the Leafs can get past the Lightning. I don't think it's it's unspeakable. I think, you know, in today's NHL with the cap the way that it is, anybody can win on any given night. And and that's the that's the beautiful thing. We see it with with Vegas right now and the way they've been able to have such a hot hot start to their to their existence. Um, you know, it's it's possible, but as of right now, I would say the Lightning have the better chance. I agree there and I think uh if the Leafs are going to the Final Four this season, if they're going to make the Stanley Cup Final or the Conference Final, to me that road is almost certainly going to go through Tampa Bay. But like you said, maybe uh, let's go first things first and win the first round because the Leafs haven't won a, a playoff round in quite some time. Although, like you said, they put up a heck of a fight against Washington in the first round last year. Uh, I believe five of the six games went to overtime, uh, pretty much all one-goal games. So. You look at that series and that playoff experience for for the young Leafs team. They're going to be uh, ready and fired up. And, and again, Mike Babcock will have them going for for the postseason. So I think anything's possible. But I do think that if, if they're going to make it past the second round, they're going to have to beat Tampa in that. And the series, I would assume Tampa will have home ice advantage. So that, that's a tough road. Uh, I just can't see Toronto beating Tampa Bay at, at this point. Uh, I don't think the Leafs are quite there yet, but. When I look at those rosters, I see uh, obviously Austin Matthews and, and William Nylander are a dynamic duo. But at the same time, you can I, I take Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov uh, every day of the week if, if you got to pick between those two. And then Toronto, as you kind of mentioned, it, the Leafs don't have a Victor Hedman. 
with all due respect to Morgan Riley and a guy like Jake Gardner, they aren't true number one defensemen. Uh, then you look at the goaltending, Frederick Anderson or Andre Vasilevsky. For me, that's a, a tough call. I think Anderson has more playoff experience. He's the the veteran come postseason, but Vasilevsky uh, is probably more skilled, in my opinion, based on uh, just pure skill uh, or upside. Uh, go on down the roster. Uh, what favors Toronto? I think you, you look at, again, the forward depth. Uh, Tampa Bay's a deep team as well, but I do prefer Toronto's forward depth. Uh, I take Mitch Marner over a guy like Braden Point and and then you go uh, Nazem Kadri over a guy like Vladislav Nemestikov. Uh, sure, I, I'd take those two that way. And and then you got guys like Tyler Bozak and, and James Van Riemsdyk. Or do you like Tyler Johnson and Andrej Palat? Uh, and then, you know, Patrick Marlowe, Leo Komarov, Connor Brown, Zach Hyman. Those are uh, still good depth for Toronto. And on the other side, Tampa Bay's not too bad with uh, guys like Alex Kalorn, Chris Kunitz. Ryan Callahan and, and Yanni Gord, another newcomer on the scene there who's having a had a good finish to last season and, and has picked up and, and showed it wasn't a fluke and Yanni Gord's becoming a, a regular player in this league as well. Um, so head-to-head, roster-to-roster, it's probably tilted a little bit in favor of Tampa Bay just based on, on the defense and, uh, you know, you look... Uh, do you prefer a, a guy like Anton Strallman over over Riley and Gardner, or you know Hedman and Strallman over Riley and Gardner? Yeah, I'd say uh, I'd take what Tampa's got there, and then you got guys like Nikita Zaitsev or Mikhail Sergachev, two uh, Russian blue liners, and and who do you prefer there? Kind of thing. It's it's you can go up and down those rosters. I think that's a, a heck of a seven game series if we get to see it. It'll be a. I don't think Tampa walks through Toronto by any means, but. Again, I just think, uh, again, looking at Sergachev, I, I like what we've seen from him. I think he'll be even more of an impact player by May, by the second round of the playoffs. And uh, that would be, or uh, well, will be, uh, an awesome series if we get to see it. I, I just can't see the Leafs getting it done, which brings me to my next question, Andrew. Uh, you get to put yourself in Lou Lamarillo's shoes. And, and what additions would you make if you're Lou Lamarillo between now and the trade deadline to knock off Tampa Bay in the second round. If you're Lou Lamarillo and you're looking at this as that's the team we have to go through, uh, it's inevitably going to come down to Toronto-Tampa Bay. If that's the matchup, what does Lou Lamarillo need to do and what trades or targets are you looking at between uh, now and the end of February? I, I think uh, you know. I think we both kind of discussed that, and in that the fact that they need to go after a defenseman, and you know, you're not talking about another puck moving defenseman. You have that in Gardner. You have that in in uh, Morgan Riley. You have that in in Zaitsev. Even um, you want a guy that you know can fill a spot and maybe knock Polak or Polak or uh, um, uh, Carrick out of the lineup. I mean, Borgman. Borgman's a solid four, five, or six. He's a guy that, you know, you can stick in there. He's going to throw the body around. He can, uh, you know, make some plays. He, he's, he's impressed me so far this season. Um, but he's not he's not a 3-4 like they've been playing him. Um, so if you can get a guy that can, you know, be a 2 or 3, um, you know, and, and maybe you move a guy like uh, uh, Carrick and, and mix him up with, you know, maybe a JVR and, um, you know, I think the fact is JVR is not going to be here long term. Um he just the money he's going to command is not going to fit in with with what the Leafs have to do with uh, you know their young guys in Marner, Nylander, and Matthews over the next uh, two years. So it, you know, do you move a JVR and see what you can get for him? And 
you know that that kind of gets rid of one of your weak weak uh, links on the defensive end too because you know JVR is a fantastic offensive threat um, when it comes to the, his defensive zone play he's just not as capable as you know some of the guys that you have throughout your lineup a Hyman a Brown um, you know those are guys that are hungry in the defensive end and 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 Van Riemsdyk's just never been that guy so you know if you can if you can cut two two uh, issues from your lineup in, in you know um, salary and um, uh, defensive zone play a weakness um, you know that's something that you might look to move if you're Lula Morello and, and try and find that you know that piece on the on the back end that's going to help push you through the the second round. Like you said, I think matching up against Tampa, there's a lot of like there's a lot of positives for Toronto. I think uh, you know we're going to see very fast whether Vasilevsky can handle the workload he's going to get this year in Tampa, um, and we're going to see if you know Stamkos can stay healthy and and if Kucherov and Stamkos can continue their their uh, hot play this season, and that's all going to play into how the Leafs and, and Tampa are going to match up in that second round series if and when it comes to that. So I, I think if you're Lou, you got to be looking for, for a 2-3. A um, you know, if, if you're going to stick to Gardner and, and Riley as your as your top two defensemen, then, you know, you stick with them and you, you push them harder because they, they make mistakes too. And Gardner's mistakes have been magnified, um, you know, quite often because – they often lead to goals when he he gives the puck away. So, you know, he's been crucified over the years for for what he's done, but he's not a bad defenseman. If you can work with him to make him that, you know, 3-4, you know, you you can put together a pretty solid defensive core. So I think that's what he'll be looking for as we head towards the trade deadline. And I don't think we're uh, necessarily enlightening Lou Lamarillo by telling him that uh, another top four defenseman is a must. Uh, that was topping my list of needs, obviously, for Toronto as well. We had sort of touched on it as we as we worked our way up to this topic. But uh, I look around the league and I was trying to scour some rosters of, of who might be available. And as we know, there's been sort of a, a high price put on defensemen, uh, especially a, a real true top pairing guy or top four guy. Uh, in recent years, you know, you, you look at that Taylor Hall, Adam Larson deal and stuff, and 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 there there's been other deals as well where maybe defensemen come a bit cheaper than that, but there is a premium on a on a good defenseman, especially if you're trading with another contender. Uh, but looking through the rosters, uh, Columbus jumped out at me. They got uh, Ryan Murray and David Savard there, and Ryan Murray to me is a guy that really needs a change of scenery, and I think Toronto could be a a great landing spot for him. He is sort of that stay-at-home steadying presence uh, alongside a guy like Gardner. Um, at the same time, Savard, he's maybe a bit more of an offensive upside power playability guy, and Gardner obviously plays the power play in Toronto and, and Zaitsev as well, but uh, I, I think David Savard can maybe give uh, the power play a little shot in the arm potentially as well, but uh, Murray would be the guy I would target there in Columbus. <clears throat> and then, uh, obviously, Ian Cole's name's been out there uh, in Pittsburgh. He has the playoff experience. He has the Stanley Cup rings. He's got that familiarity with Ron Hainsey. So uh, Cole seems like more of a, a, a natural fit or, or an easier acquisition for Toronto, presumably come cheaper than a, a Savard or a Murray. Uh, so I'm, I'm a bit surprised that Ian Cole's been out there for a, a week or so already on the trade market. I'm a bit surprised Toronto maybe didn't make a move on him but again is he maybe a 5-6 guy instead of a 3-4 guy and the Leafs have enough 5-6 guys uh, 
is he that much of an upgrade over I don't know uh, whether it's Connor Carrick or, or Roman Polak uh, it may be tough to say with Ian Cole and then uh, you, you look around the league uh, another guy that sort of fits that bill is Alex Petrovic in in Florida he's a a big physical type, uh, but yet watching him play junior in the Western Hockey League, he had a, an offensive element to his game in junior as well. And uh, Florida protected Alex Petrovic in the in the expansion draft over uh, guys like Jonathan Marchessault and and Riley Smith, and and now he's been a, a healthy scratch more often than not, and struggling just to get into the lineup with uh, Bob Bugner's team there. So. A big physical presence, uh, potentially, a, again, an upgrade on a guy like Roman Polak, but I'm not sure if Alex Petrova can step into the top four. I still think he could potentially have that kind of upside, but I don't know if he's there yet. Uh, Vegas is a team that you mentioned. Uh, the Golden Knights are off to such a, a good start. You wonder if they're still going to be sellers come the deadline. Everybody talks about the forwards they have, James Neal, David Perron, uh, pending unrestricted free agents that could be traded, but... You look at a guy like Lucas Sabiza on the back end. He was hurt recently, but he got off to a really good start with Vegas as well. And and he is sort of a, a 3 4 5 kind of guy that maybe that's another name the, the Leafs should consider. And then I look to Sabiza's former team, the, the Vancouver Canucks. And you got Eric Goodbranson there as a, a pending unrestricted free agent, an Ontario boy. Uh, to me, Goodbranson is a, another obvious target for. The Toronto Maple Leafs, a guy that I think could fit in there with the age group and everything else as well. Uh, good Branson Gardner could be a, a heck of a pairing or, or Riley, however that worked out. And if you're going to Vancouver, I think uh, Good Branson, I don't know what the cost would be. Uh, Vancouver's obviously been sort of retooling with young forwards and some young pieces. Maybe you can get them for Casperi uh, Kapanen straight up or, or something like that, kind of like they did with the Alex Burrows for Jonathan Dahlin deal at the deadline with Ottawa last year. So I think Eric Goodbranson's available, but if you want to get the big fish, the top pairing guy out of Vancouver, it's Chris Tanev. Uh, he's, uh, he would obviously cost more than Eric Goodbranson. You probably got to maybe throw in a, a first or second round pick with Kapanen and another prospect. Uh, maybe a guy like uh, Andrew Nielsen or even perhaps Vancouver would ask for Travis Dermott uh, if they're parting with Chris Tanev. I think the cost would be high, but I, I do think Chris Tanev's a, a borderline top pairing guy, even better than uh, some of the guys I talked about, like David Savard and Ryan Murray. Uh, I think Chris Tanev and Ryan Murray are somewhat similar players in that they'd be a, a steadying force in the, the top four with Toronto. And I think either one of those guys, Tanev or Murray, would probably be my top targets uh, for upgrading the back end. And Toronto, we all know, has the assets in terms of prospects and draft picks to land uh, any of those guys I've rattled off. And I'd be shocked if the Leafs didn't add at least one of those guys, if not maybe even two of them between now and the deadline. Uh, that's a lot of names to digest, Andrew, but did any of them stick with you as I was talking? Anybody uh, you like there? Yeah, you know, Sabiza's a guy that uh, I kind of looked at. Tanev's a guy I looked at. But uh, another guy I kind of have been thinking about too is a guy in like in new york uh with the islanders and and uh you know johnny boychuk and you know maybe a guy that uh isn't really talked about that much but you know the leafs have a guy like jeremy brocco that they can even think about possibly moving if you know that's that's the bonus about toronto is that they have that that depth at the prospect uh prospect position as well so they, they, they can move move a couple guys and still not hurt their future. 
um, where there's a lot of teams that are, you know, they their window closes when when you get t- start talking about their prospect pools because it's not as deep as as a team like Toronto. So those are some of the guys I've I've been looking at too. And, and you know, you want a big defenseman, you want a guy that can stay at home when you have, uh, you know, Riley and Gardner joining the rush as often as they do. So um, you know, Tanev Tanev is a guy that I I've looked at continuously. Um, you know, the the even a guy like Tyson Berry in Colorado, and that's that's a team that definitely needs some help, uh, you know, retooling and, and and getting better for the future. Because, um, you know, if they continue the the way they're going, you know, Colorado is going to be talked about as being one of the historically bad teams nowadays. Um, but you know, get throw them a couple prospects and see what they're willing to do if they're willing to move a guy like Tyson Berry. So, um, yeah, there's a few names out there, but. You know, it's all going to come down to what the asking price is, and if Toronto's willing to, you know, possibly damage their future to to get into a win now type of mentality. And obviously, Colorado. Uh, when you look at the Matt Duchesne trade, they are in a, a seller type mentality. They they got quite a haul of prospects back for Matt Duchesne, but a lot of people when they got Samuel Gerard. Uh, somewhat similar defenseman to Tyson Berry. A lot of people did say, look out for, for Tyson Berry to come on the trade block, especially if Colorado starts sinking in the standings, which the Avs have lately. So I think uh, you you can look at Colorado and Tyson Berry as, as a really good fit for the Leafs as well. And I like what you said about the Islanders and whether it's uh, Johnny Boychuk or uh, obviously Ryan Pulak hasn't been playing a, a very big role there. He's a young guy who's not overly proven, but he's got a, a, heck, a booming slap shot on the, the power play and, and just seems like he needs an opportunity and, and he could really take off in a situation like Toronto as well. Or even a guy like Thomas Hickey who's been in and out of the lineup there. Again, uh, he's he's a smaller guy, a puck-moving guy. I don't know if that necessarily fits what Toronto's looking for, but Hickey would be an upgrade, in my opinion, on a, on a guy like Connor Carrick. But... Johnny Boychuk more so the big, solid, uh, well-rounded defenseman that the the Leafs may be looking for, and Tyson Berry, again, an offensive guy. Um, You mentioned James Van Riemsdyk uh, in passing a couple times about whether or not he's part of the future of the Leafs, and and I wonder, uh, do do Toronto, does Lou Lamarillo keep James Van Riemsdyk for a playoff run at the risk of losing him for nothing uh, in free agency? Or are you 100% uh, certain or committed? Or, or where do you stand on that as far as perhaps even moving JVR for a defenseman, uh, either in a one-for-one one swap or, or part of a package? I know you kind of touched on that, but what do you make of uh, JVR's future in Toronto? And is he the trade chip to, to get this uh, elusive defenseman that the Leafs maybe need to put Toronto over the top? Yeah, I think uh, he's going to be a major piece if, if Toronto's looking to get a top-end defenseman. And, you know, maybe it's uh, maybe it's similar to the the you know tourist uh, move where you know you you get uh, some kind of commitment that he he wants to resign and um, you know maybe may, maybe not maybe he's a guy that uh, you know a team's looking for for their own playoff run and and they're willing to move a defenseman uh, to get you know a guy who who can put up some points offensively. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier. I don't think he's in Toronto for the long term. Um, he, like his his uh, his uh, salary just won't fit with the team the way it's going. And, and you know, you got to sign Nylander this year, Marner, uh, Matthews next year. Um, you know, if you're wanting to keep those big three together, 
I think uh, I think you're going to have to t- talk realistically about moving JVR, moving a guy like Bozak. Um, and I don't think the Leafs are are set to sit on them and and lose them for nothing uh, just to make the playoffs this year. I don't. I personally, I don't think uh, losing JVR is going to crush the team's playoff chances either. I think you know he has had a solid season with 13 goals, and um, you know he has impressed, and he's having you know another JVR type season. But um, he's playing you know second, third line minutes rather than top line minutes now. So. Uh, maybe maybe you move them um, and and get that that piece that you need to to go a little further in the playoffs this year than than you originally hoped and I think that's that's probably what they're gonna do. Um, like you said, I I don't think they can sit on him and, and lose him for nothing to free agency just just in in hoping that uh, you know he helps them get past the lightning. Yeah, and that's the thing exactly. And I think uh, with James Van Riemsdyk, uh, like I said. Uh, if they move him, I, I, Toronto's not going to move JVR for futures, for cap space, for for picks and prospects. Because again, Toronto's already well stocked in the the prospect pipeline. They have you know more than enough draft picks. In my opinion, the Leafs are going to go for it this year more so than they did last year. Just like I said, because young guys like Marner and Nylander need deals, and and all of a sudden you're you're tighter to the cap. So this is a year where you got that little bit of flexibility to. To add salary and to and to make a push, and I think uh, Lou Lamarillo and, and Mike Babcock, I'm sure especially, is in a, a win now frame of mind, and so I think they're going to test the market, test the waters with JVR, and see what's out there. But if there's not a a, a win now type deal, then I, I think uh, that that sort of a, a win win situation addresses both teams' needs. Then I would be surprised if 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 the Leafs move JVR for for futures type package, just because I think. Uh, they they do see him as a, a guy that still chips in here and there, at least on the offensive side, goal scoring, uh, cleaning up rebounds around the net. That uh, uh, those kind of garbage goals, uh, we all know how hard they are to get come playoff time in two to one hockey. So I think JVR still could have a role there, uh, even at, even at the risk of losing him for nothing. But I look at uh, another team that's always linked to the Leafs lately in terms of swapping a defenseman for a forward, and and that would be the Carolina Hurricanes, obviously. Uh, there was a, a lot of talk uh, when Carolina was playing in Toronto this season, at least uh, north of the border here in Canada amongst the media. What about a, a Mitch Marner for Noah Hannafin trade? And uh, obviously there was, I don't know how much serious talk there ever was to, to that kind of a, a swap. And, and both players are fitting in well with their current organizations. But what about something around <coughs> James Van Riemsdyk for Justin Falk? Uh, especially if uh, Van Riemsdyk would agree to a a contract extension like Kyle Turris did to go to Carolina and play with Jeff Skinner and and the young exciting finish forwards there and and give uh, the Hurricanes some more size up front with a guy like Jordan Stahl and and James Van Riemsdyk maybe they could be a a good pairing together so I thought about that and Justin Falk obviously to me would be a a Tyson Berry type fit on Toronto's defense uh, a guy who maybe would be an upgrade on Gardner for the power play but just be a, a solid guy that moves the puck well and and would give Toronto a, a real deep top four, uh, take them from that 15 to 25 range in the league and push Toronto closer to the top 10, if not in the top 10 for defense, if you could add a guy like uh, Justin Falk. Uh, I also looked around, uh, again, California was uh, appealing to me to maybe send JVR back to Anaheim, but that was obviously before the Ducks uh, traded Sammy Vatnin to New Jersey for Adam Henrique. I thought, you know, Sammy Vatnin, JVR, or... 
or possibly uh, you, you build something bigger with some prospects and some picks and you, and you target a guy like Cam Fowler or Hampus Lindholm out of Anaheim. But I think now that Anaheim's moved uh, Sammy Vatten, I think the Ducks will, will, will stay the course with the rest of their defensemen. They obviously have a, a, a deep defense core still in Anaheim, uh, one of the more impressive, definitely a top 10 in the league, even without Sammy Vatten. But I think uh, that ship has probably sailed as far as uh, sending JVR back to, to Anaheim. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings, you know, they have big wingers already, guys like Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson. But I thought maybe JVR uh, in there somewhere with Kopitar or or Jeff Carter on a line could could really help uh, Los Angeles as well. But maybe they're looking more for a center, especially maybe even a guy like Bozak with uh, Jeff Carter out long term with that, I believe, an Achilles type injury from a skate cut. But uh, you look at LA and I think... Uh, there could be a fit there for JVR, but but maybe not so much, especially when you look at Dustin Brown having a, a bit of a resurgence too. So the team that stuck out to me was Carolina and and Justin Falk. Do you see a, a potential one for one there? Um, I I don't know if you'd get a one for one with uh, with Justin Falk uh, coming the other way, but I mean even if you if you're able to to put JVR like you said with uh, you know a guy like Nielsen, uh, you know one of your, one of your maybe top 10 prospects and, and send him the other way and entice Carolina a little bit and you, you get a guy like Falk in return. Maybe that's maybe that's the move they make. It gives, like you said, it gives Carolina some size up front. A uh, guy that can, you know, put the puck in the net with, with uh, you know, Skinner Skinner on it right there with him. And, you know, I, I think that definitely ups uh, Carolina's potential. Um, and you know, Carolina's deep on, on the blue line as well. So I, I think that's a very well a possibility. I don't know if it would be a one for one, um, per se, but you know, definitely, definitely a, a, a trade that I'm sure, I'm sure the lease will look at, uh, possibly making if, if there is potential there. It's something that's worth exploring for Lou Lamarillo for sure. But at the same time, uh, when you move a, a fairly big piece, uh, arguably a key cog, uh, depending how you view uh, James Van Riemsdyk in the in the Leafs depth chart and, and both on and off the ice, what he means to the team. Uh, when you move a, a fairly big piece like that, you are messing with the, the team chemistry to some extent. And you look at the, the other Ontario team in Ottawa, which made the big move to trade away Kyle Turris in hopes that Matt Duchesne would be an upgrade, and that hasn't worked out for the Senators, at least not through 10 games or so. Uh, what do you make of Ottawa at this point in the season, and do you still think the, the Senators are going going to be a playoff team, or are they going to be doomed by that Duchesne trade? Because we're talking about a team that came one goal from going to the Stanley Cup final last season, and now they're struggling big time. Are you surprised by, A, how bad Matt Duchesne has been for Ottawa, and B, how bad Ottawa has been as a whole since Matt Duchesne arrived. I, uh, you know, I, I, I want to say that I am surprised at uh, how how tough it's been for Duchesne to kind of blend in with with the Sens. Um, and obviously, I am surprised that Ottawa's had uh, had sort of a you know a drop off since he's come over. But I, I think I think Tourist is highly underrated. And I think I think Duchesne was highly overrated because of where he went in the draft and you know um, what he did in his first couple seasons in Colorado. And I, I you know I, I'm not saying that Duchesne's a bad player by any means, but I, I do think he's overrated. I think he's a guy that you know might be a 60, 70 point guy, um, 
but that's it. You're not looking at a guy that's a game changer by any means. He he has the potential to be an offensive threat. He has a wicked shot, but he's not he's not you know um, top ten in scoring. That's that's not what they were getting when they got a Matt Duchesne. Um, so to give up a guy like Turris, who had the chemistry with the team, who and I and I fully understand that they weren't going to be able to sign him and they wanted to get something for him, um, but I just don't I, I didn't see Duchesne fitting in uh, with the likes of a guy guys like Hoffman and Stone and Carlson and, and you had so much high level offensive potential there you gave up a guy who you know plays well in the, in the defensive end can can be on the penalty kill and, and do do that well and, and you know play you know 15 anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes a game and still have the ability to be a shutdown guy. And I, I think it was both teams gave up a lot. I think Colorado came out the winner on that, on that trade in, in terms of, you know, what they get for the future. So I, I I'm not shocked that Duchesne's having a hard time fitting in. Um, I am shocked at how poorly Ottawa's performed since the trade. That's the thing, because you look at Ottawa's record since the trade. They're three seven one and zero. But you look, the, they won their first two games with Matt Duchesne, uh, both against Colorado. Ironically, both four three in Sweden when they were over there. Since coming back to North America, the Senators are one seven one and zero. They're coming off a, a five nothing shutout loss to the surprisingly league leading Winnipeg Jets on Sunday. But uh, you look at the the goals for for Ottawa since coming back from North America. Uh, you're looking at, I'll just read them off, 1-2-0-2-2-1-1-0. Besides that 6-5 win over the Islanders on Friday where, you know, Thomas Chabot had a a big game there and people were like, okay, here come the the Senators, you know, this is is what they needed to get going. And then boom, you get uh, ran out of the rink by Winnipeg, uh, 5-0. So, and you look specifically at Matt Duchesne, uh, I thought he'd be significantly more productive. I mean, through 11 games, the guy has one goal, two points, and he's a combined minus nine. And at one point before he had scored a goal, I think he was a minus in every game. So it's not like he had uh, one bad game where he was minus five or something. He's been consistently a minus. And I know that stat uh, plus minus is uh, pretty archaic and maybe not overly indicative of, of the way Matt Duchesne has been playing. I know some Senators fans are coming to his defense at uh, at every possibility and, and mentioning how many shots and chances he's generating. But uh the numbers don't lie as far as one goal and two points in 11 games. You look at what Kyle Turris has meant to to Nashville. And like I said, Colorado's future guys uh, have actually been... Uh, Samuel Gerrard's probably had a bigger impact in Colorado than Matt Duchesne has had for Ottawa so far. And I'm still shocked about the trade in general. Uh, shocked that Pierre Dorian, the general manager of the Senators, and Eugene Melnick, Ottawa's owner, would, would make a trade like this instead of just giving Kyle Turris the contract he wanted uh, for even money because uh, both of them are making $6 million uh, for this season and next. Obviously, Turris got uh, an additional four years at $6 million from Nashville. But, I mean, what's Matt Duchesne going to get if he has a, a good season next year, right, and the cap goes up? He's going to be over $6 million, So you're going to pay either one of these guys that much money or more. So I look at Kyle Turris, just how uh, how much he loved the city of Ottawa and how much of a big part he was uh, of the culture there both within the team and, and the city as a whole you see what he's doing for the hospitals and the kids and some of the foundations in Ottawa so 
Um, I was shocked at, at how much the Senators gave up to get Duchesne, uh, including a, a first-round pick in this year's draft that luckily for Ottawa is top 10 protected uh, because uh, the way the Senators are going right now, they might be picking in the top 10. So uh, obviously uh, they'll get to keep that pick and, and the following season uh, it would be deferred to 2019 to Colorado if the Senators end up in the in the bottom 10 teams or end up picking top 10. But uh, I, I didn't think this trade would totally derail Ottawa. I'm surprised and shocked that it has. Uh, I thought the Senators had a pretty good thing going and I thought at worst Matt Duchesne would come in and be Kyle Turris 2.0. I thought they were similar players. I, di- I didn't think, you know, it wasn't worth throwing in a first round pick. I didn't think it was, and also Shane Bowers, who was a, a basically two first round picks Ottawa threw. And I didn't think Matt Duchesne was going to be that much of an upgrade over Kyle Turris. So I immediately thought Ottawa's the loser of this trade. But to see Turris struggle the way it has and just to see it be a, a train wreck thus far for both the, the player and Duchesne rather than uh, not Turris, but Duchesne struggling this much. Uh, and for it to be a, a train wreck for Duchesne as well as the Senators, uh, both the team and the player struggling to this degree. Uh, at the same time, uh, it is a long season, and I do think, part of me thinks anyway, that Ottawa can get it back on the rails and that Duchesne can become a, a key player for this club before it's too late. Uh, agree or disagree there? And, and maybe just uh, the better question might be, what's wrong with Ottawa? Because uh, I think this goes beyond Matt Duchesne. You look at guys like Eric Carlson, Craig Anderson, Bobby Ryan, Mike Hoffman, the list goes on. None of those guys are performing to their potential and everybody is struggling right now for the Senators other than maybe a guy like Mark Stone. Uh, I've seen some of their fans are, are starting to turn on Guy Boucher and point the finger at the coaching staff but is that the problem or, or does this all come back to the the Matt Duchesne trade and just sort of messing with chemistry? Well, I think it has a lot to do with messing with chemistry and, and just to kind of reel off what you, you were saying about Duchesne, uh, you know, two points in 11 games his only goal is a power play goal. So, he, you know, five on five, he just hasn't gotten it done. And when you're trading for a guy of that that kind of namesake and, and and a guy that, you know, has obviously been, a, a, you know, a, a solid offensive player throughout his, his years in the NHL, you want better production from that. Uh, you know, you're paying $6 million for a guy who's not putting up very good numbers in his first 11 games. And as you said, it's a long season. So... You know, let's not harp too much on, on Duchesne. And, and uh, you know, you're right. The, the team is struggling as a whole. Ryan's been been hurt, can't stay healthy. Seems to be the way it's been since he came, uh, you know, came over to Ottawa. Um, you know, Stone's actually having, a, a, you know, a relatively good season. Hoffman's kind of been mediocre at best. Carlson, um, you know, he started the season on the, on the injured list and, and he's kind of, He's kind of had a little bit of uh, you know a tough time getting back into you know the way that he's been able to play over over his career. But I think one of the biggest things is the system that they play in, and, and you know you see this all the time with coaches and players buy in for a certain amount of time before they just say you know what this is not the way that we're meant to play. And you've got a, such a fast um, you know highly skilled team in Ottawa, and you know they do play a lot of trap type hockey and you know not to harp on the trap but when you got a team like like Ottawa you know you have the potential to outscore you know possibly giving up three goals a game so if you can win 5-3 sure it's a dirty win but it's a win 
And I think tr- right now that's what that's what Ottawa's struggling with is they they've got the potential to 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 play at a high highly level uh, you know offensive game and, and they just aren't doing that. And you know maybe maybe it is Guy Boucher, um, but the players have to buy into the system that they are being coached at and. Right now, I don't think the players are buying in, and that's that. That's my personal opinion. I have, you know, just from what I've seen from from Ottawa so far uh, since the Duchesne trade, and and they messed with chemistry a little bit, and and you know it's come back to bite them. But you know, it, there's still a lot of time to turn it around, and and I do think Ottawa will be a playoff team when we when we get to uh, the spring, and um, you know what what if they can do what they did in the playoffs last year. That remains to be seen. I just don't think they have the same quality of team as they did last year. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for the Senators uh, going forward. Uh, goaltending to me is one of the big problems there too. They're not getting the quality of goaltending that the Senators got last year from from Craig Anderson or from Mike Conn. And that tandem has been uh, in the bottom 10 in the league, uh, especially lately uh, throughout this losing streak. So uh, which included seven losses in a row. So, I mean, I think goaltending has to improve. And, and when you mentioned the system, I think another big thing is that was new to the rest of the league last year. Guy Boucher was coming back from Switzerland with Mark Crawford, and, and, and other teams didn't really know what to make of it. But now they've had a whole offseason to, to game plan against Ottawa, and I think teams are, are countering Guy Boucher's system quite effectively. And now... Uh, kind of uh, playing checkers and now it's back the ball's back in Guy Boucher's court and he has to tweak his system or, or adapt in order to to get Ottawa back in the win column uh, but I wonder uh, I know in the preseason predictions I had Ottawa out of the playoffs and down in something like 26th or 27th overall and, and obviously the fact they came within a, a goal of the Stanley Cup play or Stanley Cup final I got a all kinds of grief for, for making that prediction. But I, I seen Ottawa as a team that could potentially fall off this year. And I'm not huge into analytics, but I know that the advanced stats uh, uh, community definitely suggested that the Senators' success uh, wouldn't be sustainable this season. They like to use the terminology of uh, regression to the mean. And that's uh, what we're seeing to some extent, uh, in, in my opinion, in Ottawa. And like I said, I'm no fancy stats uh, expert, but... Teams have done this in the past, whether it was uh, Patrick Waugh's Colorado Avalanche or Bob Hartley's Calgary Flames. Sometimes the the stars just align and teams defy the odds or the the underlying numbers. They they basically they overachieve, which was uh, in my opinion definitely the case for the Senators last season. The fact they came within a, a goal of making the Stanley Cup final, everything went right for that team in Ottawa. Um, Craig Anderson was amazing in the face of adversity. Obviously, his wife was diagnosed with cancer, and and there's been good news on that front since. But obviously, he was playing with a, a you know a lot on his mind and persevering, and and good on Craig Anderson. But this season, things just aren't going well there for for anybody, including Anderson. And I, I'm trying to figure out: it, are is, are the Senators just in a funk, or is Ottawa a mediocre team? And maybe my preseason prediction that the Senators were going to fall off. Uh, will hold true but yet when they made the Matt Duchesne trade I was backpedaling on my preseason prediction and saying okay now they got Duchesne you know what uh, yeah they're messing with the chemistry but I think Duchesne's going to be just that little bit better than Kyle Turris and, and this is going to be a playoff team and obviously through 11 games uh, we're not seeing that they're not looking like a playoff team they're not playing like a playoff team uh, at the moment it's still <clears> tough to say because I do think there's a chance the Senators will get their act together and, and squeak into the playoffs and like you said perhaps make some noise again uh, yet 
again, when we talk about overachieving teams, to me, uh, Ottawa is almost the, the Edmonton of the East because uh, the Oilers are doing much the same in the West where a lot of people had them pegged as, you know, Stanley Cup favorites, myself included, or, you know, even uh, President's Trophy, regular season champion Oilers uh, this season. And, and yet, you know, you look at last year and, and everything that could have went right for Edmonton from Cam Talbot to... You know, Leon Dreisaitl, Oscar Kleffbaum, everything that could have went right did go right. And things aren't uh, playing out the same for, for neither the Oilers nor the Senators this season. So I, I do see some similarities between those two teams. Uh, rounding out the Canadian contingent, Andrew, uh, at least in the Eastern Conference, uh, we can ask many of the same questions about the Montreal Canadiens. But let's just start with uh, the easy one. Are the Habs a playoff team? Uh, I think that question is very much contingent on the the answer to can uh, Carey Price stay healthy. And, I mean, we, we, we obviously don't have an answer to that. Um, I think knee injuries with goalies are, are hard, uh, hard to judge because I think, you know, they're constantly pushing from side to side. Um, you know, there's a lot of tension on the knee. And uh, I, I, I just... I, this team is not a good team without Carey Price and net. The confidence is not there. Um, you know, even even when they won 10-1 the other night uh, against Detroit, you know, it was Detroit for one. Uh, two, um, you know, Patch Reddy didn't even get involved in the scoring. A guy like Placanics, uh, you know, it was it was a lot of the depth guys that, you know, they they do have good games from time to time, but your depth guys aren't going to have you know, put up 10 goals every other game. So, you know, and, and Carey stood on his head again for them in net. So, I mean, since he's come back, they've they've looked like a playoff team. But is he going to be in the position where he can steal games for them constantly throughout the rest of the season and, and remain healthy? And I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, that said, if, if he's able to, uh, I, I don't think they make much noise in the playoffs because – uh, you know, you, you can't just be a, a team that strictly relies on your goaltending in the playoffs. And I mentioned that with Toronto and, and how much pressure they put on Anderson to, to steal them games as well. Uh, obviously, uh, are the Habs a playoff team? If we asked this question two weeks ago, I know I would have been leaning towards no. And, and you know, uh, but now it's it's sure looking like yes again. And, and I think Mark Bergevin uh must be breathing a, a big sigh of relief to see Carey Price come back from that injury and and to be in his you know all world form to see him be playing the way that he is uh, because there was a lot of pressure mounting on, on Mark Bergevin and there were the the fan base was getting restless in Montreal and they were turning their attention at the general manager for for the roster makeup and and that's going back as much as you know like I said two weeks ago and, and now you look uh, the Habs are hitting double digits in, in dominating Detroit on Saturday 10-1 victory there and and they've won five straight since Carey Price's return from injury so uh, Mark Bergevin gets uh, off the hot seat uh, at least for the time being but it, if that is a, a yes or no answer as far as are the Habs a playoff team and like I said I'm leaning yes right now uh, in terms of making the playoffs but is it entirely dependent on Carey Price, both his health and his performance? And, and I know you touched on that already, but maybe the second part to the question, does Price impact his team's fate more than any other player in the league? Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. And I, I, I've been on this train for the last four years. Um, their, their goal scoring just isn't there. 
Uh, you're talking about a team who has 78 goals with 80, 86 against, and they're sitting in, a, in the third in the Atlantic right now. And, uh, you know, the 86 against aren't against Price. Sure, he was rough to start the season, and, and look how well they did to start the season. They didn't do very well. So, um, you know, when he's on, I, I think Montreal's on. Um, that being said, you know, if you look at the standings today, they have they've played four more games than Boston. Uh, Boston's one point behind them. Um, they've played three more games than uh, Ottawa. Ottawa's just uh, five points behind them, so they have a potential six points right there. Um, so, you know, everything is still going to have to go right for Montreal, I think, for them to make the playoffs. I think Boston's a, a really big threat with, uh, you know, some, some very interesting games coming up. Uh, you know, they've got one in Nashville um, tonight, uh, Boston, I believe. And, uh, you know, so I, I just think Montreal is relying far too much on Carey Price. They have over the years. Um, for whatever reason, he, he instills this crazy sense of, of you know, confidence in, in the players that play in front of him. And uh, they're able to, to really get things done when he's in net. So uh, it'll be interesting to, to see if they can continue that. Um, but, I mean, we even saw a drop-off after the first few games that Charlie Lindgren played. And then suddenly the, the, the players in front of him weren't, weren't doing the same things that they do for Carey Price. So I think uh, he's probably one of the most dynamic players in terms of how he impacts his team uh, when you look at the entirety of the NHL. And when you look at the the goals for, I know you mentioned 78 goals for for Montreal in, in 28 games. We have to remember 10 of those came in one game, so uh, and and that's not going to happen too often. So you, you take away those 10 and you make it 68 and 27, and that's not a very high scoring team. Uh, they're going to need to win a, a lot of 2-1, 3-2 type games, uh, even get some shutouts from from Carey Price. But I, I I'm with you too. I think Price is a, a perennial Hart Trophy candidate, which goes to the most valuable player to his team. And that last part is key there, to his team, because Price is definitely that. Uh, Connor McDavid uh, is the only player that comes close to matching that impact, in my opinion, because I think the Oilers would be nothing without McDavid. If Connor McDavid gets hurt tomorrow and, and he's out for the rest of the season, there is no, not a... I mean, there's, there's, it's long odds already that the Oilers are going to get back into the playoff race, but there's no chance Edmonton makes the playoffs without Connor McDavid. And, and I think it's the exact same scenario in Montreal with Carey Price. I think, uh, look around the league, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins could survive without Sidney Crosby, and they have done so uh, in the past. And I think the Senators uh, got by surprisingly well at the start of the season without Eric Carlson, uh, albeit in a, in a small sample size, but Eric Carlson's always a an MVP conversation kind of guy, but the Senators did okay without him uh, for a 10-game stretch or, or whatever it was there. And, and I think Tampa Bay uh, isn't the same without Steven Stamkos as we saw last season when the he got hurt and the Lightning missed the playoffs. But at the same time, I don't think it's to the same degree uh, Stamkos in Tampa Bay as it is uh, with Edmonton and McDavid or, or Price in Montreal. Uh, those two are the the league leading MVPs, the leading candidates for the Hart Trophy, uh, year in and year out, uh, especially if the Oilers and or the Canadians uh, end up making the playoffs. I think uh, Carey Price and Connor McDavid are, are in the running for the Hart Trophy. And if neither of those teams make the playoffs, then the, the Hart, Tro Hart Trophy voting uh, should be very interesting this season uh, if, if you don't have uh, 
Carey Price or, or Connor McDavid in that conversation because Montreal and Edmonton missed the playoffs. But year in, year out, I think Carey Price is, uh, he has to be considered a, a Hart Trophy candidate just on how valuable he is to his team, uh, what he means to the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, as big as his contract is, the extension that's coming, I believe it's eight years, $84 million. A uh, lot of money. He's going to be pretty old by the end of that contract. He's got the knee issues. I, I think you got to pay Carey Price because uh, without Carey Price, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, they don't go very far and they're maybe at the bottom of the standings uh, without their all-star uh, MVP goaltender. Switching gears, Andrew, uh, we'll go south of the border for a bit. and Maybe we'll uh, speed things up a little bit here or you know spend a little less time on each topic. But here's a fun question for you. Which New York team is better, the Islanders or the Rangers? And who would win a seven-game series uh, between the Islanders and Rangers? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to say I I think the Rangers are still better at this point um, in terms of their overall roster. I think the Islanders are getting better production from their their front end, which which is... Given them the the boost into the wild card spot that they need, um, I think Barzell's been uh, you know an unbelievable addition to the team this year. Uh, really starting to to put things together. I think you know what do you what do you say about John Tavares and the impact he has on on the Islanders and, and you know like I mentioned before, guys like Boychuk, uh, Letty, um, you know guys that are are really starting to you know, uh, play well for this team and you know their one weakness might be goaltending, but They've been able to get it done so far. Um, you know, when you go to the Islanders, or sorry, the Rangers, I think, um, you know, Lundqvist is still Lundqvist. I think, uh, but the, the the thing with the Rangers is their window is closing, and it's closing fast. Um, they don't have a lot of prospects, <clears throat> excuse me, down the pipe uh, to, to really sustain the success that they've seen over the last number of years. Um, you know, they, they trade away a guy like Stepan. Um, Sabinajad is, is in and out of the lineup constantly with, uh, with injuries. Uh, you know, I, I think right now they're, they're just not the same team they, they have been. But if you were to put them in a seven-game series, I think the Rangers would come out on top. So I guess we get to disagree for the first time on the show because I'm uh... – I'm liking the Islanders right now, and I actually think uh, the Islanders can make pretty short work of the Rangers in a in a seven game series. Uh, then again, like you said, it's it's never a good idea to bet against Henrik Lundqvist, who's probably one of the more clutch goaltenders in playoff history. He's uh, stepped up and and stolen a lot of games from teams like Pittsburgh over the years, and even stolen rounds at times for the Rangers. So. Uh, I think he could be the great equalizer in that series, giving the the Rangers a significant advantage in goal. Uh, both teams have uh, pretty wicked power plays. Uh, both teams' special teams, uh, especially the power play, have been uh, hot this season. But uh, the Islanders, to me, have the only star forward between the two teams in John Tavares. And, and generally speaking, I think the Islanders have as much or more skill up front. Now, I know the Rangers are a, a fairly deep team on the wings, but maybe not down the middle. And like I said, I think Matt Barzell, uh, John Tavares have been a a real good one-two punch, and and I like the Islanders' uh, forward depth possibly even more than the Rangers, and especially when you add in Tavares as the the top end guy. I think the Rangers. Uh, I don't know who's better on defense. That's uh, that's maybe a, another question within a question, but uh, you, I'd love to see that series come to fruition as a as a first round matchup. If those two ended up being the the two three seeds in uh, 
in, in the Metro. And I mean, it's not impossible, but I mean, that, that seems far fetched when you, you look at who else is in that powerhouse Metro division. But uh, one day, uh, it, it would be nice to see that series, Rangers, Islanders. But uh, I, I'd take the Islanders in five or six. So uh, we'd have a bet if it comes to that, Andrew. Yeah, I, 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 it'd be interesting. As you said, you know, I think it comes down to to defense and, and you know, can Lundqvist be the Lundqvist that he's been over the years? And that might be the, 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 the piece that is, is shifting my vote towards the Rangers, but it would definitely be interesting to see those te- two teams go head to head. Yeah. The Rangers obviously have uh Ryan McDonough, Kevin Shattenkirk and, and others on defense uh, countered by again, Nick Letty, Johnny Boychuk. Uh Both defenses are, are comparable, but maybe the Rangers, if, if the Islanders have the, the high-end talent at forward with John Tavares, uh, the, the Rangers have the a potential shutdown guy there in Ryan McDonough. If, if everybody's healthy, that's a, a, a pretty awesome seven-game series to watch, and it would obviously generate a, a ton of interest in the New York area. Let's expand that a little, though, and, and stay in that New York area as far as our, our either or both of the New York teams, the Islanders or the Rangers, and or the Rangers, better than New Jersey? Or are the, the upstart Devils the best of those three teams? Wow, I think I think the Devils have uh, really put things together this season. Um, I think one of the biggest things for them, that one of the advantages that they have right now is how quick they are. And, and, and I saw that when uh, they beat Toronto early in the season and Toronto kind of didn't pay enough attention to how quick the devils were and and the devils were able to take advantage of that and and really blow past them but um you know i I think the one spot that maybe new jersey is struggling is on defense and uh you know they they've hung Corey schneider out to dry a little bit this season and you know you see that in the 80 goals given up so far this this year in, in 26 games and you know i i think if you can get past that if you can find a way to to shut things down a little tighter in your own zone i think new jersey can be a, a really impressive team and i think they're probably one of the more underrated teams uh this year and i i made a preseason prediction for the devils that they were going to be uh top 10 in, in goals for this year which is not something that we've seen a lot of over the years um that being said i don't think they're quite there yet but uh definitely They've they've impressed with 80 goals so far this year, so um, not a bad team. Um, you know, I think I think you stick any any two of these three teams together, and, and you're going to have a good series. But I I think New Jersey's going to come dip back down to earth a little bit. Okay, I'll let you keep going on that thought then, because do you think all three of these teams can keep it up, or do you think one or more of them are gonna are gonna fall off and fall out of the playoff picture as the season progresses? Be it the the Islanders, the Rangers, or the Devils, uh, do they keep it up or do they fall off and and not become a, a playoff factor even for the wild cards as we go? I think I think the Islanders can keep it up. I really do. Um, like like we said, you know, their 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 defense has been performing to to a, a point where you know what's expected from them. They're not overperforming. They're not underperforming. Uh, New Jersey, I think. The, if they don't tighten up in their own zone, they're going to start to fall in the standings a little bit. Uh, and the Rangers, I think, depend entirely on Lundqvist and if he can stay healthy because behind him, they just don't have what it takes to uh, you know become a playoff team. So um, I, I think the Islanders uh, still, if you were to stick them in a, in a seven-game series, I think the Rangers come out on top. But I think in terms of keeping 
the pace right now, the Islanders are the one team to watch watch for in the Metro. If only one of those three teams make the playoffs, you, you take the Islanders is what you're saying. Do you think uh, how many of those three do make the playoffs or is it just going to be the Islanders? I think it's just the Islanders. Uh, I think the Metro's way too tough with Pittsburgh, Columbus, you know, Washington's up there. Um, I think, you know, you, you've got a tough division, and I think I think there's going to be one more team in the Atlantic that squeaks into to one of those wild card spots. I guess that'll be the big thing: is does the the Metro sweep the two wild cards? I look at the Devils; they're a, they've been a huge surprise to me, and good on you, Andrew, for. Uh, calling them to be a, a top 10 scoring team this season because they are on pace to potentially be that. Uh, we're talking about a team that was the league's lowest scoring team uh, not that long ago. Uh, I believe before they brought in Taylor Hall that season prior, they were the, the lowest scoring team in the league. So the Ray Shero has uh, done a good job of building a, a more offensive club there. Now he adds Sammy Vatnin, which is a, a an offensive-minded defenseman, a power play type guy. So I think... Uh, the Devils have become a, become a, a fun team to watch. And, and to that extent, like I said, they're surprising me. And, and the Islanders uh, to a lesser degree, but I'm surprised by the Islanders' uh, success to this point in the season. Guys like Josh Bailey uh, becoming a, a premier player in the league. Uh, the Rangers are more or less what I thought they would be. Uh, the Rangers obviously have more experience on their side. They've been to the playoffs more recently. And, and I do think they'll hang around that playoff race uh, over 82 games. For me, uh, the more I watch the Devils, the more I think they could be for real. But I just think that Metro division, uh, it's only going to get tougher in the second half. The games get tougher as the season goes. And as fun as the Devils are to watch, uh, I just, and, and you know, the fact they're attacking in waves and generating all kinds of offense, I just don't know if it'll be sustainable over 82 games. Uh, although I said that after five games, after 10 games, uh, when's the shoe going to drop on the Devils? And, and so far, so good. You know, uh, John Hines is doing a, a good job there and and obviously the the forward group ha, has stepped up and and is outscoring teams and, and giving Corey Schneider lots of run support even if they're not giving him a a whole lot of help at the other end of the ice so uh, uh and Corey Schneider to me he he might arguably be the best goalie of those three teams uh perhaps even better than Lundqvist uh when he's on his game uh yet of the three uh as I kind of I have a thing for the Islanders right now so I'm with you I think uh Doug Wade is doing a masterful job there in Brooklyn, and, and I hope they get an ex, a contract extension done with John Tavares so those negotiations don't become a, a distraction leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, so I like the Islanders as well, and the only concern there, uh, as much momentum as they have going right now, is uh, they need to continue to get average or slightly above average goaltending from Yaroslav Halak and Thomas Grice, uh, regardless of who's in net, uh, it's kind of a platoon system, and, and they need those guys to stay uh, reasonably good, especially as the, the schedule goes. They're going to be playing more and more division games, uh, games within the Metro division, and I don't know if that was on purpose, the way the schedule is set up this year, but uh, there was a lot of interconference play in the first couple months, and, uh, and there hasn't been a lot of uh, games within the division, at least for certain teams. So I think as the Islanders have to face more of those powerhouse Metro teams that we'll talk about in a second. I think the big thing for, for the Islanders is getting a consistent or, or at least average goaltending. Uh, and, and if they do, I think the Islanders can finish ahead of the Devils and the Rangers after 82 games. Uh, I probably have them in that order right now, the Islanders, Devils, and Rangers. And, and if they do sweep the, the wildcard spots, uh, I'm not... As much as I wasn't high on the Devils going into the season, they're they're growing on me, and I think the Islanders and Devils could end up uh, 
uh, either one or both teams in a wild card spot. And, and what about the big three? Because you touched on it, uh, Andrew, and, and the big three in the Metropolitan Division, uh, at least from last season uh, and from recent seasons, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Washington Capitals have always been powerhouses. The the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, came on strong last year. They were right there as, as sort of part of that big three. Uh, are those three teams uh, all playoff bound again? And, and how would you rank uh, those three clubs as of today? Well, I think uh, Pittsburgh, you know, I think they're almost a perennial playoff team. And, and even, like you said, even if Crosby or Malkin get injured, you're still looking at, uh, you know, a team that can still get things done. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, Washington, I think they're starting to realize, you know, that Ovechkin can't be your main, main cog there. And, and you hope that still, it's to still, still be a president's trophy winning team. Um, I think, uh, you know, Holpe's kind of come, come into it a little bit and, and realize that, you know, he's, uh, maybe, maybe not, he's still, he's still a superstar goaltender, but I, I think, I think he's kind of become more of a average goaltender this year. He, he, he hasn't seen the same kind of numbers that he's, he's seen in the past. Um, and, and that team just really hasn't put things together so far on the, uh, on the ice, um, and I think that's why you're seeing them sit where they are right now in, in the standings in the wild card. Um, you know, in, in terms of Columbus, I'm actually surprised that uh, they're not doing better than uh, than they are right now. I think through 27 games, they've had the potential to win more than 17, um, and they're still sitting atop the Metropolitan. Which, as we've mentioned, this is a strong division. This is a a division that can really you know cramp your style when you're trying to win a few games and uh i think columbus has the potential to be better than what they did last year and uh you know i think if they can put more together in, in you know guys like anderson missed the start of this, the year boone jenner just hasn't really done much this year year um you know even even a guy like cam atkinson just has not reached the same level that he was at last year so you you get a little bit more production from a few guys in in Columbus, and suddenly you're talking about a team that's won, you know, 21, 22 of their first twenty seven games rather than seventeen. So, uh, I I think all three are are playoff bound teams. Um, I I do think one of them is going to end up in the wild card if New Jersey can can you know maintain their pace uh, with all the divisional games coming up in the next uh, couple months. Obviously, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. They've lost uh, a bit of depth here and there, but uh, I, I just look at that roster and, and think that's going to be a, a tough team to beat. And uh, especially now, you you know, Sidney Crosby had a, a cold stretch, much like Matt Duchesne's having. And, and, and we talked a lot about Crosby, uh, even in years past, you know, is, is he starting to fade? And, and then he heats right back up and he's going strong again uh, right now, scoring and setting up goals and has got the Penguins' power play uh firing in all cylinders so that team's uh as as good as any in that division in my opinion the Pittsburgh Penguins and 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 the Washington Capitals you mentioned uh, I think the big thing there is the the depth on defense you know they lost uh, a, a lot of guys from last season uh Carl Alsner uh Kevin Shattenkirk who was obviously only there uh towards the end of the year but a guy like Nate Schmidt as well and and I just think uh, Washington's defense is, is growing as the season goes. And, and I think that's why we're maybe seeing the Capitals starting to rise in the standings again as some of these young defensemen are 
are adapting to the league and and maybe they're not showing up on the score sheet you're not seeing Madison Bowie and Christian Juice and those guys uh racking up a bunch of points but I think they're adapting and they're playing better uh in their own zone especially and and it's helping uh fuel the transition game even if they're not getting assists I think uh the Capitals are improving obviously Braden Holt the uh the last line of defense and he's seeing more rubber than he has in seasons past but he's uh as good of a goalie as there is in the league uh maybe next to Carey Price uh, and then, like I said, uh, Alex Ovechkin out of the gate this year, he had that surge where he's leading the league in goals. And I believe he's right there with Nikita Kucherov still. And he had a hat trick not so long ago. So, I mean, uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, you can't really teach goal scoring. It's a, it's a knack. And especially with a one-timer like that, he's got a, a unique skill set. And uh, even as he gets older and maybe a little slower, he's finding ways to, to light the lamp. So I think the, the Capitals are still a dangerous team, especially if they can get uh, more from their bottom four defense and, and as well as their their bottom two forward lines. I think uh, the Capitals are still in the playoff mix for sure. And like you mentioned, the Columbus Blue Jackets, they're a team, guys like Cam Atkins, and even a, a kid like Zach Wierenski, uh, uh, he's picked it up in the last few games, but maybe a bit of a, a sophomore slump there for a kid who had such a strong rookie season. But I think uh, Columbus is starting to come on strong again, and, and they went on a big winning streak uh, through the end of November into January last season. And I think the Blue Jackets could get hot again because like you said, they, they got the, the pieces there to, to potentially win the Metro Division regular season title this year. Uh, uh, and I like the top line that John Tortorella is running out right now. He's got the, the young kid, Pierre-Luc Dubois, centering Josh Anderson and the and the trade acquisition, Artemi Panarin, sort of three guys nobody knew where they would fit into that depth chart. And here they are uh, playing as a top line and, so far through, uh, I think it's five games they've been together, they've been producing, so it's good to see. I still think Oliver Bjorkstrand's kind of been lost in the depth chart now that, that those three have been put together, and I think he's got more to offer offensively as well. And then, uh, like I said, guys like Cam Atkinson and, and pretty much top to bottom, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets have been playing average hockey. They have another step to go, and if they do, they could uh, rise to the top of that division. But who makes it and who doesn't in the Metro, Andrew? Uh only five of the six Metro teams uh, we've we've mentioned that could make it, but obviously we haven't said anything about uh, Carolina or or Philadelphia. Philadelphia is obviously on a, a big skid right now, but Carolina is somewhat entertaining hockey team to watch. Some people still think they're a sleeper. Uh, does the Metro send four or five teams to the playoffs, and, and who do you got? Uh, well, I think... Carolina might be the one that you, you kind of talk about, and they're going to be a bubble team like they were last year. I think, uh, you know, lately they've started to put it together a little bit more, and, and that's exactly what they need. Um, they're, but they're a team that, uh, again, goaltending comes into question. Is Scott Darling going to be a guy that can take on the majority of, of a schedule and, and really put up some solid numbers? And, um, you know, can Skinner and Falk and you know, Stahl and, and those and Teravainen and, and Aho all all continue to to have impressive seasons and I think that's gonna be the biggest question for them. Um I think if they either miss the, the playoffs by a couple points or they're or they're sitting right there in the, the second wild card spot. Uh but they're they're definitely gonna be a bubble team again. Um they've shown the prowess to be able to to, to score and, and and they're not uh, they're not so bad in, the, in their own zone, their own zone either. But you know you want to talk about a team like Philadelphia, and we talked uh, we talked so long ago about Montreal and and how they potentially could have lost their season in October. And you know now you're talking about Philadelphia. And did they 
did they maybe lose their season in November? And, you know, 23 points through 26 games, um, you know, only 70 goals and, and really not finding anything uh, is going right for that team. And uh, whether it's a systematic thing or, or, or just, you know, beyond beyond their first line, they really don't have anything going for them. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what's wrong in Philadelphia, um, but it's not it's not looking good for them. Uh, you know, 0-5-5 in the last 10, and, and just, uh, you know, it's got to be frustrating. And uh, I, I don't see them making the playoffs again this year. Yeah, I'm writing off the Flyers. Uh, Carolina, to me, uh, they're a, an interesting team, but I think they missed the cut as well, the Hurricanes. Uh, these are some tough questions, and uh, I, I don't even have the answers for them, and I don't want to dodge the question entirely. So I'll say... Uh, Five Metro teams make the playoffs, and, and I'll put them in this order. I'll say Columbus, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, New Jersey, and Washington. Uh, obviously, that means the Rangers, Carolina, and Philadelphia missed the cut for me. Uh, Andrew, I hate to put you on the spot, but can I, can I get your playoff teams from, from the Metro? Yeah, I think, um, I you know what? I, I know I mentioned earlier that there's, you know, maybe another Atlantic team makes it, but I, I do think the Metro is just way too strong, and uh, I tend to agree with you. I think I think you've got the five teams that are going to make it in, in Columbus, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, and Washington, but I think my order is going to be more around Columbus will take the division. I think you've got the Islanders – in second, um, I'm going to say Pittsburgh third with uh, Washington and New Jersey taking the final wild card. Okay, so we'll flip uh, the Islanders in Pittsburgh as well as uh, the Islanders ahead of Pittsburgh for you, and then Washington ahead of New Jersey for for you as well. And those are, I, I mean, it's interesting that we agree on the five teams because, like I said, that division's so competitive and and so close in the standings. Uh, the Atlantic uh, maybe isn't as exciting. We haven't talked about. Uh, Boston, Detroit, Florida, teams that maybe, although Boston I think won six of seven, so maybe we should uh, give the Bruins a, a little bit of a shout out, but Detroit and Florida obviously struggling, not overly interesting, and, and the Buffalo Sabres may be the intriguing team to me there. Uh, I know I mentioned Ottawa, perhaps the, the Edmonton, the East, but for me it's uh, the Buffalo Sabres are kind of the Oilers of the East, the team uh, from that conference that is really failing to meet my expectations. I had Buffalo... Uh, as a as a playoff team in my preseason predictions, uh, did you expect more from the Sabers this season? Uh, is there any chance that team could somehow put together a, a crazy second half run and, and make the cut still? And and if not, uh, what changes need to happen in Buffalo to, to turn that team around? Because uh, obviously Jason Botterill and Phil Housley are new there, the the GM and the coach, but uh, the roster itself has been together for. Uh, a fair number of years, uh, the core group anyway, and, and maybe they're just not getting it done. Look, I, I've always, I've always said that I, I don't think every player makes a good GM or coach, and, and I just don't think, I, I, I don't think it's entirely Phil Housley's fault, but I don't think he's got the players, you know, buying into his system, and I think that's, I, I would have agreed with you that Buffalo should have been a playoff team, uh, you know, ahead of this year. They've got Ryan O'Reilly, you know, uh, Ristolainen. Um, you know, 
you know, maybe their goaltending is kind of suspect, and, and that's where they they might have been struggling a little bit. But you know, guys like Evander Kane and, and Jack Eichel, and you know, these guys are, are players that should be putting up some pretty good numbers offensively, and just haven't. You know, six wins in twenty seven games, and you know, it, it, we, had we talked, you know, a few weeks back we would have been saying, you know, Arizona's the favorite to get the number one pick this year, but Buffalo's right there. Buffalo is has 16 points through through their first 27 games, and, you know, even the Coyotes have, have done more damage in, in their first 30. So I just, I don't see Buffalo going on a run. I think the players have just completely lost confidence. I think the team has lost confidence in, in what they what their system is. I don't even think they have a system that you know is completely down pat because really they you know if you've watched any buffalo games this year they they've been kind of all over the place they don't really know what to do and and you know listening to them talk after the game all of them are getting frustrated they've talked about trading evander kane um you know and what are you going to get back that's going to offer you a better chance next year uh, this is a team that you know they're 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 trying to go through a rebuild, but they're trying to cut cut corners as well, and it's just not working out well for them. And uh, you know I think they're still a few years away, maybe now from from making the playoffs, especially if they move a guy like Evander Kane. That's too bad because uh, in my preseason predictions, I was Winnipeg in the West, Buffalo in the East. Those were the two teams that were going to rise and. And, and Buffalo was going to challenge the, the Tampa Bays and Torontos in the Atlantic Division, led by Jack Eichel and, and like I said, Rasmus Ristolainen. I, I was high on the Phil Housley hiring, uh, coming from Nashville with all the good defensemen. I thought Jason Botterill did a good job of you know acquiring guys like Nathan Beaulieu and Marco Scandella and signing a, a Russian guy like Victor Antipin. And, and uh, I knew Brendan Goulet was potentially in the mix there on defense. And just looking at the way that defense was coming together and thinking Phil Housley could do wonders for Rasmus Ristolainen and turn him into a potential Norris Trophy contending defenseman. And, and obviously there's been injuries on the back end there uh, from most of the names we mentioned as well as guys like Zach Bogosian. And, and it just hasn't been a... The stars haven't aligned for Buffalo in any way, shape, or form. You mentioned Robin Lehner... Uh, Still not uh, the Vesna Trophy caliber goaltender that maybe some people thought he was early in his career in Ottawa that he had that upside and he hasn't panned out for Buffalo and I know I've seen teams are calling on him now even uh, uh, Robin Lehner in Buffalo, Peter Morazic in Detroit you know some of these guys that we thought were going to be upper echelon goalies in the league now might be available for a, a fairly buy low trade type thing and and uh, Evander Kane a pending unrestricted free agent at this point I think it's almost a a certainty as good as he's played with Jack Eichel and, and as many goals as Evander Kane has scored. I think the the Sabres, unless they get on a run real soon here uh, between now and mid-January winning, you know, 10 in a row or something crazy, I think they got to cash in that trade asset on Evander Kane. Uh, obviously, he's had some off-ice issues and stuff. I don't know if he's worth re-signing uh, as, as part of the culture of the team going forward. I think uh, you cash in that asset. The other team wouldn't likely want to sign him either. Probably a rental. I think he'll go to market in the summer as, as an unrestricted free agent. But he's a guy that's scoring a ton of goals. So there's going to be a high level of interest, probably more so even in Evander Kane than a guy like James Neal potentially. So 
I think the Sabres are, are going to be sellers, and uh, it's disappointing for me uh, for my predictions, but also just uh, I was high on the Phil Housley hiring, and I thought this team was, was going to do in the East what Winnipeg is doing in the West, and obviously we're not seeing that from the Sabres, so disappointing there uh, at the bottom of the standings. But at, looking to the top of the standings, or the Eastern Conference in general, who is the team to beat in the East, Andrew? Is, is it Tampa Bay? Is it Pittsburgh? Uh, is it somebody else from that Metro division? Maybe it's Toronto. What What do you think? Who's the, the team to beat right now? I think Tampa's the team to beat. Uh, I, you know, had you asked me earlier in the season, I might not have been, you know, sold completely on, on Tampa Bay and the way they've been able to get things done. But I think I think Tampa's the team to beat. Um, you know, they'll, they'll probably go head-to-head with Columbus. Um and I, I, I think for Pittsburgh, it's you know it's it's just a matter of having been two long seasons for a lot of their players, and and you know they lost guys like Cullen, they lost guys like Kunitz, uh, you know uh, that that takes a toll on a team as well when you you lose role players like that. So I, I think Pittsburgh, you know they'll make the playoffs, but uh, they're gonna have a tough time making another uh, another Stanley Cup run. Um, but I think I think Tampa. With it, so long as everybody can stay healthy and they they get the the same kind of goaltending from Vasilevsky as they've had so far this year, I think uh, Tampa is the team that uh, is is going to come out of the East. I still like the Penguins. I think uh, you're the the champion until otherwise, and I think just seeing them kind of round into form and and. Uh, Lately, I mean, if, if Matt Murray gets healthy and can provide the goaltending that he's provided in, in the last two playoffs, I think uh, until somebody beats Pittsburgh, I'll have a hard time believing there's a, a better team in the league, uh, and, and let alone the Eastern Conference. But I do think Tampa Bay is built to win now. I think they have more depth than Pittsburgh. And like I said, Columbus, that's a, an interesting choice as well, because Columbus and Tampa Bay are, are somewhat similar uh, constructed teams. And obviously, Sergei Bobrovsky might be the... Uh, right there with Carey Price and, and, and Brayden Holpe as far as the best goalies in the league. And so I think if Bobrovsky can perform in the playoffs, which has been a, a bit of a question mark, he's had some some playoff uh, flops or disappointments in the past. But I think if Bobrovsky can play, uh, step his game up in the playoffs and be the, the Vesna candidate type guy in the playoffs, I think Columbus-Pittsburgh uh, would be a heck of a series again, whether we see that in the, the first round or the second round. And I do think Tampa Bay uh, over Toronto in the in the Atlantic. So I think Tampa Bay's uh, into the Eastern Conference Final, and and I wonder. Uh, I I still think Pittsburgh beats uh, Columbus in a, in a seven game series if that's what it comes down to in the in the Metro bracket. Uh, obviously, we're talking a lot about playoffs, Andrew, and and almost prediction type stuff. And I guess that's because we didn't get to do a, a preseason podcast together. But better late than never. So let's go all the way on this and let's get your Stanley Cup prediction while we're at it, Andrew. Uh, and and let me know is this is this prediction what you had prior to the season or or is this a, a prediction that sort of evolved over the the first couple months of the season? Is but at the end of the day, who comes out of the East and who comes out of the West and and who ends up hoisting the Stanley Cup? Now now you're fishing for me to say Vegas, right? No no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I I think Vegas is going to be an interesting team in the in the the West. I don't think they make the Stanley Cup. I think they they're going to be you know a heck of a team to watch in 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 the playoffs. Uh, you know the band of misfits uh, going up against some of the best teams in the league. But out of the West, I have uh, St. Louis. Uh, I think it's their time. Um, you know, picking up a guy like Braden Shen and uh, you know the 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 way that he's kind of just kind of 
slipped right into that team and really been able to to mesh with everybody there, Tarasenko, and and they're getting the goaltending they need from Jake Allen, and you know maybe maybe they got rid of a weak link on their blue line in, in Shattenkirk. I mean he's great offensively, but maybe that's uh, he was a def- defensive liability for them, and and um, they've really been able to to form a better defensive core because of that. So for me, out of the West is St. Louis, and uh, out of the East, I I'm gonna stick with. Uh, you know, I'm going to go Columbus. I'm going to go Columbus because I, I think I think they're underperforming right now, and I think if Bobrovsky can put his struggles from previous playoffs aside, I think that team is really solid. I think they're buying into what Tortorella is selling them right now, and uh, you know he's got he's got a kind of a two or three year ex- expiration on him in most cases. So I, I think this is the time for Columbus to shine and. Um, yeah, I think they they might beat Tampa in a, in a seven game series. So, I'm going to go Columbus and uh, St. Louis. And I, you know, I don't think this would have been my prediction preseason. Um, I think I would have had maybe Anaheim or or uh, you know even Edmonton. I think Edmonton would have been my team coming out of the West uh, preseason and, and uh, out of the East. Um, you know, I think. Uh, I think Pittsburgh or, or or Washington would have been my team coming out of the East uh, had we talked before the season started. But um, you know, just watching what what what's been what's transpired so far this year, I think uh, you know Columbus is really impressed, and and uh, St. Louis shouldn't be taken lightly either. I had uh, Edmonton over Pittsburgh in seven games as my preseason prediction, uh, and then now I was I was thinking, you know, let's go rematch of last year's final Pittsburgh Nashville because I really like the Predators with Kyle Turris as kind of a a free ad without giving up anything off your roster they're going to get back Ryan Ellis I like what Nashville's doing in the west but uh even though I just said Pittsburgh's the the team to beat in the east I think I'm gonna uh defer and go with you here I'm leaning towards Tampa Bay Nashville as a final and I think that would be fitting to have a an all expansion final uh featuring two expansion teams from the 90s in a season where the the expansion Vegas Golden Knights are, are blowing everybody away. That would be a an entertaining final. I think I'd take the, the Lightning over the Predators in seven games, but I could see that one going uh, either way. So we got a, a Columbus-St. Louis final as well as a Tampa Bay-Nashville final. So some interesting predictions, uh, Andrew. Uh, maybe lastly, uh, before we let you go, there was a couple... Uh, Topics I wanted to bounce off you. I don't know if you've seen my recent piece on uh, possible NHL coaching changes, but I wanted to get your opinions on that front. Uh, who do you think's on the hot seat, and who are you predicting will be the first coach to get fired this season? I mean, I know it's been. I know the idea has been shut down, but how do you not get rid of Hackstall right now in Philadelphia? Uh, that to me is just. It's blowing my mind. I know Hextall wants to stand by him, but right now, if you're Philadelphia, you should be doing much better than 8, 11, and 7 with 23 points in 26 games. And if you have any hope of turning this around, you have to put a guy in place where the players are ready to buy in. You have to put a guy in place that knows what he's doing, that you know is willing to adapt to what you have in Philadelphia and use guys like Travis Konechny, who I think is – completely underused in on that team um i think he would be my my first guy to go um 
and I'm going to surprise a lot of people here. And I think I think Joel Quenville's on a, on the hot seat in Chicago, and uh, you know he's he's obviously one of the more tenured guys now in the NHL. Um, but you know I think he was ticked when they traded uh, they traded Panarin, um, and uh, I think. I think him and him and Bowman just aren't seeing eye to eye right now, and I think that's that's part of the reason why Chicago is having having their struggles. So those those are my two, uh, one from each conference, and I think I think uh, you know Edmonton's an interesting case, but I don't think they're ready to get rid of Todd McClellan just yet. And it's interesting you brought up uh, Joel Quenville because I went on uh, at length in, in the piece about Joel Quenville and the possibility that, again, there's a shelf life for everybody and, and there has been some tension with Stan Bowman. So maybe uh, Chicago surprises us and makes a, a move uh, sooner than later in, in the coaching department. But I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out what it's going to take for a coach to get fired because you mentioned Dave Haxtell. He's somehow still employed by Philadelphia despite losing 10 straight uh, getting shut out at home on Saturday before leaving for a Western Canadian road trip, and the Flyers haven't scored in, in 119 minutes. So uh, you, you look at those things, especially getting shut out at home before you leave on a road trip. I thought, okay, you know, because Phil or Ron Hextall came out and and gave Dave Hextall a vote of confidence prior to that whole afternoon game on Saturday at home, and and thinking, okay, you know, let's rally around him and let's get a better effort, and, and then you get blanked by the Bruins and. And the Flyers didn't have much going in that game. I watched parts of it, and it, it wasn't a, a strong effort by any means to to say we're behind our coach. And, and you've seen the dejection in a guy like Claude Giroux in his post-game interview. You know, he didn't look like a captain that was rallying the troops either. You know, he looked pretty uh, down and out as well. So I'm surprised there hasn't been a coaching change in Philadelphia Um I know Ron Hextall is accompanying the team on this Western Canadian road trip. So if they don't do well in, in Calgary tonight or Edmonton, Vancouver in the back-to-back midweek, uh, I still think Dave Hextall uh, might be on a on a shorter leash than Ron Hextall leads us to believe. Uh, especially, we all know the, the fan base in Philly gets pretty restless and they've been booing and chanting fire Hextall. So uh, you, you can't let that go too long or they're going to turn on Ron Hextall there, uh, even though he's a, a legend in Philly. So... I look at that situation, and then for me, Jeff Blashill in Detroit, uh, not to pick on two Eastern Conference teams, but coming off that 10-1 uh, drilling in Montreal, and the Red Wings are on a, a seven-game losing skid as well. So those two, Dave Haxtell and Jeff Blashill, both kind of first-time NHL coaches. I don't know how much longer they can survive uh, if their teams keep losing. So I think somebody gets fired within the week Uh Looking to last season, there were five changes made mid-season. There's been an average of four coaching changes per season since 2013-14. So uh, I think I'll I'll take the under and say only three changes this season. But how many changes do you think we see uh, by year-end, Andrew? And and any more predictions on that front as far as who might be the replacements? Um, I'm going to go with... I think there's going to be four changes by season's end. Um, in terms of replacements, there's not really anybody on my list that uh, you know. I, I think I think a lot of them are looking towards players now, and I, me personally, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I, I was joking the other day about uh, you know if Montreal were to to get rid of Claude Julien if they continue to struggle, um, who's their next in line because. We all know that they're they love their their French speaking uh, coaches, and uh, they won't have anything else. Um, 
and you know, I, I would joke that it would be Patrick Waugh going to Montreal, and uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see which which uh, coaches you know might make an entrance into the league again. Um, you know, obviously Gerard Gallant's getting a great opportunity in Vegas, and I think he's the guy that uh, you know needs to be considered uh, you know the Jack Adams favorite at this point, putting together some crazy crazy uh games with with vegas and uh you know but you know i mike keenan was just let go of his post over overseas so is that a guy that maybe makes a a one-year stint back in the nhl who knows um i think there's a lot of good good potential out there i think if Quenville gets uh gets the can in in chicago i think he's picked up faster than uh faster than you can snap your fingers so uh, you know, there's a lot of potential out there. I just, uh, I don't think there's any real favorite to land a spot right now. And you mentioned with Quenville, uh, chances are if Chicago made that move, one of these other teams would, would fire their coach that day and, and hire him. And we've seen that a few years ago. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux changed teams uh, mid-season and was unemployed for, uh, I believe, something like 24 hours. So it does happen and that's possible. Uh, for me, uh, if I'm taking three teams for a coaching change, uh, I think they, they will be uh, Philadelphia and Detroit, who I've already touched on. And I have a funny feeling about the Calgary Flames and Glenn Gulletson. I, I, I think Daryl Sutter returns to the Flames. Uh, I just know, uh, obviously, they've traded away their first-round pick this year, and, and Brad Living, uh, the general manager in Calgary, has to be all-in, and I think he's got to be confident in his coaching staff. And, and just seeing, again, they're down 6-1 to Edmonton and in the Battle of Alberta on home ice on Saturday, and, and good for them to rally and, and make that a game, only losing 7-5. But the fact the Flames were down 6-1 at the start of the third period, uh, a provincial rival, big game. They hadn't played the Oilers since the season opener, and, and Edmonton blanked Calgary 3-0 in the season opener. And obviously there's been much made about the Oilers' struggle, so you think the game's in Calgary, the Flames are going to come out and... Uh, avenge that season opening loss and then it's the Oilers that are up 6-1 at one point so I think Glenn Gulletson very much is on the hot seat in Calgary and I think Daryl Sutter is somewhere in Alberta uh, packing his bags getting ready to and his cowboy hat getting ready to head back to to the Saddle Dome uh, either him or or Dave Tippett who obviously uh, from Arizona has a, a history with Brad Living in that organization that's uh, Brad Living came from the Coyotes to the Flames so I think Daryl Sutter, uh, Dave Tippett are candidates in Calgary, and I think Tippett's a candidate to take over in Detroit as well. Uh, and let's say uh, Philadelphia too. I mean, Philadelphia, like I said, uh, I like Chris Knobloch a lot. I think he was hired as a, an assistant coach this summer ha- coming off of a, a dominant run with Erie in, in the Ontario Hockey League in, in the junior ranks. And I think Chris Knobloch's going to be a, a great head coach in the NHL, but is he ready and is he going to command enough of a presence to to take over and, and rally that team at this point in the season. Maybe not. Maybe you do need uh, somebody uh, more of a, a veteran coach, more of a, a stern guy who can can come in and press some buttons, a guy like Daryl Sutter or, or Dave Tippett. And I look back to Detroit. Uh, if Tippett doesn't go there, I wonder if uh, Todd Nelson wouldn't be in line for a promotion from uh, the farm team in Grand Rapids. Obviously, Todd Nelson led Detroit's farm team to a AHL championship to the Calder Cup uh, this past spring. He's had a stint in Edmonton where he actually had a produced great results with the Oilers as an interim head coach, but they didn't extend him. They brought in Todd McClellan instead. So I think uh, Todd Nelson is a guy who's he was in the running for Arizona's coaching job. I know he interviewed there in the summer. So I think Detroit would be wise to promote Todd Nelson before they lose him. If Jeff Blashill isn't the guy to 
to lead the Red Wings the rest of the way this season. And and like I said, I think Chris Knobloch uh, eventually in Philadelphia, but maybe uh, they look to somebody more experienced in the meantime. And, and I always hope to see uh, somewhere, anywhere, I'd like to see the return of Ralph Kruger. Uh, I know he's busy with Southampton uh, in English Premier League soccer. He's a chairman there, but they had an ownership change I mentioned in my coaching changes piece. So I, I think uh, Ralph Kruger could resurface it. I think there's interest uh there's obviously interest in him amongst NHL teams. Teams called him in the summer again, and, and I think he's got that mutual interest that he feels he has unfinished business in the NHL because he didn't get a, a fair shake in Edmonton either. So for me, it's uh, Daryl Sutter, Dave Tippett, and, and Ralph Kruger would be the, the three guys I'd like to see take over uh, Calgary, Detroit, and Philadelphia respectively. Uh, but like you you mentioned Gerard Gallant, and, and it's not all doom and gloom for coaches this season, Andrew. Uh there's been a lot of uh, outstanding coaching performances around the league. So that makes for uh, a number of Jack Adams candidates. But who are the three names on your ballot as of today? Who are your Jack Adams guys? Uh, I would definitely – well, Gerard Gallant's my favorite. And I, and I think if he if he doesn't win, um, I, I'd be absolutely shocked. But, uh, uh, you know, beside him, I think you've got to put Paul Maurice uh, – you know, Winnipeg has just finally put everything together, and they're looking really, really good. Um, and then, you know, taking one out of the East, uh, you know, I think maybe Hines in New Jersey, um, being able to grab the the first overall pick and, and make that team a, a potential contender. Um, those would be my three, with honorable mention, obviously going to you know Mike Babcock because I think he got. I, I, I think he should have won last year personally with the with what he did with that team and all the rookies that they had. But, um, you know, I think he, he gets the honorable, honorable mention this year. All very deserving candidates. And I think the list is 8, 9, 10 deep we could go here. And, and surprisingly, the only one we have in common at this point in the season is, is Gerard Gallant in Vegas. I think uh, nobody expected the Golden Knights to, to gel as well as they did or... or, or be able to, you know, get a system down pat so fast. And I think, uh, obviously, Gerard Gallant is, is a shoe in it and the, the likely favorite. Um, you mentioned uh, Paul Maurice in the, is the other guy in the West. And, and I think Mike Yao, in, uh, Mike Yao in, in St. Louis is a guy that exceeded my expectations. Uh, I know Ken Hitchcock had big shoes to fill there. I, I didn't really like the job that Mike Yao did in Minnesota. I wasn't a, a big Mike Yao fan. I thought that was going to hold St. Louis back. I didn't have St. Louis as a, a playoff team in my preseason predictions, largely because of coaching. So I want to uh, give a shout out to Mike Yao and and, and give him full credit for uh, putting a, a certain system in place that works for the St. Louis Blues. And, and that team's uh, exceeded my expectations, in my opinion, largely thanks to coaching instead of a uh, coaching being a detriment and, and again I, I i hated on paul maurice a little bit in the in my preseason predictions too and and good for you for nominating him for the jack adams because uh paul maurice has done a great job in winnipeg but i have gerard gallant as my number one mike yao as my number two and then uh, i know you mentioned the the former players and, and not liking former players as coaches but i have a a coin flip here for my third uh name on my ballot both former both are former players from our youth i I like uh, Doug Waite with the Islanders, and I like Travis Green with the Vancouver Canucks. And I, I don't know who I would round out that ballot with. Uh, obviously, Gerard Gallant, Mike Yao, and then either Doug Waite or Travis Green. But I like both those guys, and, and maybe lean a little bit towards Doug Waite. But I can't say enough good things uh, 
living in BC right now and, and getting flooded with Canucks news and, and propaganda. I, I've been paying close attention to the Canucks and I know Travis Green a little bit from the, the Western Hockey League when he was in Portland and he's done a, a magnificent job there. Uh, most people had the Canucks pegged as a, a lottery team, a, a bottom two team in the league or bottom five for sure and they're hanging around the playoff race in the Western Conference as well. So a lot of props to, to Doug Waite and Travis Green because some former players don't work well as coaches and, and those two are maybe uh, the exceptions or two guys that are doing well. So uh, do you like both those guys as uh, well? I, like I said, uh, you, you can't forget Mike Babcock, John Hines. There, there's a ton of guys out there that deserve uh, consideration and the second half's going to make or break that uh, Jack Adams ballot. But it, it's uh, a lot of options for us to choose from right now. I, you know what, I, I have to agree with you on, on Travis Green and uh, even Doug Waite. I think Travis Green would be my third on, on your list just simply because I, I was one of those people who thought Vancouver was a lottery team. And uh, if, if, they can, if they can continue to, to, to do as well as they've done with the team that they've put on the ice, um, you know, I, I think Green's got to get some kind of recognition, even if even if he's mentioned in the in Gerard Gallant's uh, acceptance speech, like that, that the, the 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 way he's been able to turn that team around from a team that had a closing window to uh, you know a team that has possible playoff hopes, um, you know, a, a great pick. I, I you know, great pick in Travis Green. Yeah, awesome stuff all around, Andrew. Uh, as always, uh, appreciate having you on the show. Before we let you go, though. We want to know what you're up to. So if you, you don't mind telling our facing off listeners what you have in the works uh, for THW as well as uh, what are some recent articles worth checking out. And, and of course, don't forget to mention where people can follow you. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew G. Forbes or uh, at Tape to Tape uh, THW, uh, my my column that i you know add a little bit of opinion uh can get kind of testy sometimes with some of the readers but uh you know that's what we're here to do is is we're here to create some discussion and and get you know uh, hockey fans united in 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 opinion and and, uh all that kind of stuff so check me out there or you can head over to the hockey writers um find my articles uh in the columns i also cover the the london knights of the ohl which has been uh, a lot of fun this year and a team that's been kind of up and down and and um you know if you're if you're a fan of the ohl be sure to check out my work on the on the the london knights and uh i i do have a piece uh coming up soon where i i talk to um the son of a former Toronto Maple Leaf with uh, Nick Antropov. I talked to his son, Daniel Antropov, uh, currently playing in the OHL and, and had a great discussion with him about, you know, what it was like to be a second generation hockey player and the, the you know, the help that and, and advice that he's gotten from his dad uh, as he's moved forward in his development and career and what he hopes to do with his career. So uh, definitely a piece that I look forward to writing and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, some of our readers look forward to reading. So, uh, be sure to check those out. Yeah, thanks again, Andrew. That, uh, that'll that be a great piece. Look forward to reading it myself. And uh, just uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the show again. And hopefully we can get you back. Uh, I know we didn't get to talk any World Junior stuff today. Or, or we both cover uh, Junior Leagues in Canada. So maybe we can fire up a podcast with some World Junior predictions before Christmas. But uh, appreciate having you on the show. And, and always terrific insight, uh, both on the Maple Leafs uh, as well as... Uh, junior hockey when we talk that and the nhl as a whole uh, you got a lot of opinions and uh 
uh, we agree on most fronts, but sometimes we disagree, and it, it makes for a good talk, a good <laughs> hockey talk throughout. Of course, Larry, anytime, and I uh, I look forward to hopefully talking in, to you soon about the World Juniors, and, and uh, it should be a good tournament again this year. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Thanks again, Andrew. Have a good one. You as well. That's it for this episode of the Facing Off podcast. Remember, you can listen to archived editions online at thehockeywriters.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at facingoff underscore THW.